Good evening. It's good to see everyone here tonight. We're back from Mind Game 6. Are we excited? Yeah, I'm excited to see you guys. Every week is fun, but then I'm also sad because we get another week closer to, uh, uh, to ending. And so, but we're having a great time, and I hope that you are too. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Xavier Small, and I'm the counseling pastor here at Rosedale. I am also a licensed therapist, and so I do everything from the worries and the woes that come with things like adjustment disorder and low levels of depression, all the way up to uh, things like schizophrenia, schizoaffective with bipolar disorder, um, all the psychotic things um, down at the community mental health center. So having a good time. I like to be in this dichotomous role. Um, I think that it's a blessing and a gift to be able to um, be a part of the change happening in the church setting where we're starting to have more conversations about mental health. Um, it's so needed and um, um, I'm, I'm excited for what we're going to get into. Um, just giving you a quick overview of what's happening. So week one, we talked about the family system. Uh, we talked about in week two, anxiety, anxious for everything. Uh, session three was validation versus affirmation, where we took some time talking about uh, being Christians and navigating individuals of the LGBTQ community. Uh, we talked about, we spent two weeks talking about abandonment issues where we covered attachment styles and we also discussed uh, codependency. And tonight we're gonna jump into control issues. And so I'm so excited. I hope that you're, you are too. Strap in, we're gonna give you a ton of information. Remember, if you only brought that bifold that I provided for you, it's not enough. <laughs> Have you opened your bifold yet? Who's opened it? You see all them lines? There wasn't even any room for you to take notes at the bottom, all right? So that lets you know what we're getting ready to get into, but I'm super pumped and we're gonna jump into it. So let's pray, ask the Lord for his help, and then we'll get busy. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for your son and for the finished work on the cross. Father, we thank you so much that you are an intentional God and that you never leave us or forsake us. Thank you so much for being um, an intentional God. Fathers, we spend time tonight talking through um, a tough topic for many of us. I pray that you would just anoint my lips, Lord. Um, I pray that, um, that there will be grace uh, given and shown uh, tonight through this topic. Um, Father, guide our conversations after, and we'll give you all the honor and glory for it all in advance. In Jesus' name we pray and we're thankful. Amen. We're talking about co, uh, not codependency, that was last week. All right, we're talking about control issues. Control issues. So control issues defined. The term controlling is defined as an adjective that describes a person or behavior that seeks to exercise power or influence over others in an authoritative, authoritative excuse me, or dominating manner. It suggests a tendency to exert control or have a strong need for control over people, situations, or outcomes. Okay, so what does controlling behavior look like? So what I want to do is kind of get, start us off with this, a little bit of this framework, and then of course we're going to take some time to talk about what the Word of God says on the issue. Okay, so what does controlling behavior look like? First, again, exerting rulership or authority over someone else in a way that influences their behaviors and decisions. And so, um, like, most, like most things, it's important for us to realize that not every aspect of something like a topic like this is bad, right? Uh, well, I don't, like, I don't like the word bad. Wrong, right? Um, or even negative. It's important to uh, realize that there are going to be some moments in our lives where we are in a position to demonstrate um, some authority over a circumstance, over a person, right? Parents to their children, superiors to your supervisees. So that's not a, an, an inherently uh, quote-unquote wrong thing. Um, but we'll talk about some more connecting factors in a second. A strong desire to be in charge. Like it, I have to be able to be the one to steer the ship or nothing, all right? Third, a strong need to influence outcomes. A strong need to influence outcomes. And so I have to make sure, this has to play out the way that I want it to play out. This has to play out the way that I believe that it should play out. And if it's not playing out the way that I believe that it should play out, well then it's wrong, okay? What else does it look like? 
a tendency to micromanage others, right? That's how you can tell when someone has a control issue. They micromanage, they kind of lord over you, right? And you're like, okay, I need you to sweep this floor. And then they'll stand there while you sweep the floor to make sure that you sweep it. I can sweep, man, get off my back, right? Um, someone who, has to, who micromanages, all right? Um, a struggle to relinquish control or yield to someone else, all right? So kind of going back to that conversation of it's my way or it's the highway. Right? And so if it's not being done the way that I want it to be done, and, and even if someone may have more experience or be um, my superior in a specific area or over a specific thing, I don't want to relinquish control to that person because I want to be the one to do it. I need the fame, I need the recognition, blah, blah, blah. Okay? Um, difficulty with delegation. Difficulty with delegation, right? These are the individuals that are like, I've got to do it myself, right? Okay, let's see if anyone can finish the expression. If you want something done right, you've got to... There's a bunch of control freaks in here. <laughs> I set y'all up and you just took the bait. Right? If you want something done right, you've got to do it yourself. Right? And those are those individuals that's like, hey, I've got to make sure that I'm the one doing the task because I need to make sure that it's done right and it'll only be done right if I do it. And then uh, the last one for this section is difficulty with trusting others uh, to make decisions. Um, so again, I have, to be the I have to be the final authority on this decision, and if I can't do that, I'm going to be unhappy, or I'm going to try to manipulate, or I'm going to try to step in and do things the way that I feel um, that it should be done. Um, so it's important um, with those things, those definitions kind of in mind, uh, of course, you want to jump into what the Word of God says, amen? All right, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 23. Turn to Psalm 23. Right, a very famous, popular psalm. Most of you can, amen. Most of us can quote this psalm from memory. Um, we're going to spend some time looking at it. Um, so what I'd like to do is I'd like to read it in a second, and then we're going to, um, we're going to read it in a second, and then we're going to pull some takeaways from it. But from a, while you're turning there, uh, from a biblical perspective, control focuses on the intrinsic components of who you are as an individual. And as a child of God, you and I have access, like you've heard me say before, we have access to the most powerful being in the universe, right? Stronger than any, uh, any firearm, any military power, um, any hydrogen bomb, right? It doesn't matter who, who it is. We have access to the most powerful being in the universe. And because of that, we have a different skill set and a different bag that we can tap into to approach life and its circumstances. And so as Christians, Control is me-centered instead of being God-centered, right? Control is being me-centered instead of being God-centered. And once we shift from that self-centeredness to a God-centeredness, we begin to look at our circumstances differently. So let's look at Psalm 23. Not very long. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever so why should God be our focus as we battle control number one because the Lord is our shepherd right it says in verse one the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want this immediately puts God in a place in our lives for God to lead right I'm surrendering to you and your leadership Lord most of us know about sheep, that sheep are not very intelligent, right? They put themselves constantly um, in harm's way if you let them, right? They are also defenseless. They have no sharp claws or any sharp teeth, and all they can do is go, bah, bah, help, bah, bah. But that wolf doesn't want to hear that, right? Um, and they're defenseless, and they have a tendency to put themselves in harm's way. And I feel like that's such a great depiction of Xavier. Like if Xavier does it, Xavier will blow it. Xavier will put himself in harm's way. What does, this, what does the Bible say? It says, as a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. And Xavier does dumb stuff all the time. And I'm so gl glad for a gracious God 
right, um, who looks out for me even when I'm blowing it, right? I'm prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, right? Um, but that word shepherd can be translated to someone who tends to a flock. God is tending to your needs and mine. I love this. The, another version says this, because the Lord is our shepherd, we have what we need. We have what we need. So we're talking about this. When we're talking about control issues, what's the big reason that we, God should be our focus as we battle control? Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I have what I need. I don't have to worry about being in control of the circumstances. I don't have to worry about being in control of people. I don't have to worry about being in control of all the ins and outs of a circumstance because God is going to guide me as his child. The book of Proverbs says that God keeps the foot of the righteous from slipping on to a perverse path. The way of God is instruction and, and, and knowledge and wisdom. The Bible says if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. God's desire is for me to have that wisdom and to have it freely. He does not withhold that from me. He does not withhold that from you. And because of that, we know that God, he says, I will supply your every need. Doesn't he? He says, uh, if, if we pursue his kingdom, right, all these things shall be added unto us. And so letting God guide us, tending to what he wants us to do, understanding that God, being our shepherd who guides and leads us, will keep us, put us in a place where we won't lack anything. Number one, the Lord is our shepherd. Number two, the Lord navigates our direction. Look in verse two. It says, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He gives us direction. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He, he leads us besides the skilled waters. And God has a better navigation system than you do. The Bible says that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You got to think about those old English style lamps that you kind of have to walk through when you have your cloak on. You know what I'm talking about? And you're kind of walking through a foggy night. And even though you have your lamp on, you still can't see Jack. You're most likely going to crash still, right? It's a lamp unto our feet. You only get to see what's the step that's right in front of you. And baby, that might be a hole still, or it might be a snake still, or it might be something. But guess what? God's path is illuminated for him. When you see a wall, God sees a way, right? When, when you see a roadblock, God sees free passage. We only get to see the next step when God has, in his omniscience, full capabilities of seeing eternity past, eternity present, and eternity future. Every option, every outcome. I think God is the best global positioning system that we could ever have, Amen. right? And his desire is to lead you. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths, right? Scripture says there's a way that seems right unto a man, but in the end are the ways of death. If God lets Xavier do it, he's going to blow it. But that's not the way that God operates. He says here that he makes me to lie down in green pastures. I lie down when you say lie down. I walk by those still waters when you tell me to walk by those still waters. We cannot have to worry about control because God is going to order our steps. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. That's scripture. That's scripture. God is a guidance kind of God. And he navigates our direction. Third, the Lord is a restorative God. Verse 3, he restores my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Relinquishing control to God allows God to lead you in the paths of righteousness. When I stand before an almighty God, he's not going to see Xavier. He's going to see the blood of Christ on me. He's going to see the cloak of Christ's righteousness on me. And he wants to lead me in those paths of righteousness. Why? Because he's righteous. Right? He wants to lead me toward holiness. Why? Because he's holy. Right. He wants me to be like him because he created me to do those. Right. He said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and then gave us dominion over the entire world. That's the kind of God that he is. But here's the truth. We as believers don't know what God says he is, what God says he is to us and the way that God operates in our lives. And you can't claim promises that you don't know. You can't claim promises that you don't know. So we can relinquish control to God, allowing him to lead us. This is where God can demonstrate his power and character in your life. Pastor, what do you mean? He says, he leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. For his name's sake. Pastor, I'm not sure what you're talking about. I mean, let's think about Job, right? Satan comes before him and, and comes to accuse him. 
And God is willing to put his, his name on the line when he says, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him in all the east, a man who, who, who loves God and serves God and he escheweth evil. There's nobody like him. And God is saying that. And so Satan does what? And he, he sets out to prove God wrong. I'm going to trip Job up. And when I trip Job up, I'm going to make you a liar. Right? And that's the way that, that he operates. And God leads us in the path of righteousness because it is the, when we walk in righteousness, when we walk in those holiness, that is demonstrative of the power of God in my life and in yours. This is something he cannot and will not do, though, while you are trying to navigate it yourself. You are trying to restore yourself. You are trying to navigate yourself. You are trying to be your own shepherd. And here's the truth. Even though Exodus 20 verse 5 says that God is a jealous God, he's not going to fight you over your heart. If you don't want God to have it, he's going to say, okay, well, do your thing. Let's see how well you do. But I want to remind you that I am Alpha and I am still Omega. I still own the cattle on a thousand hills. I am still ever-present, omniscient. I am still omnipotent. And you can think you got it better than I do, but I'm letting you know that if you allow me, I can do much more with this than you can. And restoration comes when he leads us in those paths of righteousness for his name's sake, because God's not going to make himself look bad. He's not just a restorative God, but the Lord creates a fearlessness in his people. He creates a fearlessness in his people. Pastor, what are you talking about? Verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? Fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. He creates a fearlessness in his people. This is a direct antithesis. Listen up. This is the direct antithesis for someone with control issues. Because if I hold on to it, I, my thing is that I don't have enough faith or, or trust in you or a system or a, or a direction to navigate it without me being the person at the helm of this doing it. But God says you have nothing to fear while I am in control. I have your best interest at heart and I can do more with you than you can do with you. That's the way that God operates. And he creates a fearlessness in his people. When you walk through the valleys, there is nothing to fear. Some people operate in control because they are mortified of what will happen if they let God do it. We can be, fearlessness. We can be fearless because God is with us. He says, I will fear no evil, colon, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Not only because God is with us, but God has positioned himself in a way that he can comfort us through the valley. I heard someone say this. We don't just walk through the valley, but we have the lily of the valley with us. Huh? I have found a friend in Jesus. He's everything to me. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. The lily of the valley, in him alone I see. All I need to cleanse and make me fully whole. In sorrow, he's my comfort. In trouble, he's my stay. He takes my, who knows the lyrics? Every care on him to roll. Hallelujah. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. That's how God operates. That's how he operates. I don't have, I'm, even when I walk in the valley, I'm not by myself. Think about this. The creator of the universe wanted to walk in the cool of the day with Adam. And he wants to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, not just with David, but with you. In those times of sickness, in those times of fear, in those times of, of hurt, he wants to be there in that place with you. The Lord doesn't just create a fearlessness in his people, but number five, he, the Lord is a preparative God. He is a preparative God. Look at verse 5. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Preparation includes preparing a space for you in the spaces. Check this out. In the spaces where you are not welcome and your enemies are present. I love the verse that scripture says, what God hath put together, let no man put asunder. Meaning, what God puts together, nobody can break apart. Meaning, what God puts together, nobody can tear down. Meaning, what God puts together, no one can confiscate. Meaning that when God sets it up, baby, you are home free. You are home free. And when God is preparing you, right? 
And that's why we have control issues, right? Because we, we want to make sure that we're ready. But when God makes you ready, you are prepared in spaces that you are not welcome. You are in, when a man's ways please God, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. God will walk up into an organization that is Christless and make it bring him glory. That's the way that he works. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was high and lifted up. And God said, you're going to go eat grass until you can submit yourself to me, to the most powerful man in the universe at that time. In the world, anyway, sorry. Universe was a little dramatic. Can you tell him, can you tell him dramatic? Okay, okay. The most powerful man on the planet at the time. And God says, I'm going to have you outside grazing cat, grass like cattle until you can humble yourself before me. God doesn't need anyone's permission to enter any spaces, right? We are all stewards of the spaces that we have currently. And the Lord still giveth, and the Lord still taketh away, and the Lord's name is still going to be blessed. Because that's the way that he rolls. He owns it all. But God's preparation for you includes you being in spaces where you are unwelcome. If God has purposed for you to operate in that space, then you have nothing to fear. Preparation also includes the anointing of God. Thou anointest my head with oil. The word anointing means to, make, to be fat or to fatten. Right? It's almost like you are taking, it's almost like that, 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 that calf getting filled up, getting filled up and being used um, to prepare for the slaughter and to prepare for a feast, except you're not meant to be devoured. God is preparing you and, and fattening you into a place so that you can walk in the spaces that he has prepared for you. That's what preparation looks like, right? Preparation for me looked like 60 credit hours of a master's program and hundreds of hours of meeting before clients to get ready for this space so I could have this license and stand before you guys with credibility on where God has brought me. God was fattening me up so I could stand before 100 people and say, God is good. <laughs> That's how he rolls. God's preparation for each and every one of us is going to look different. I wonder how God is preparing you in the season of your life right now for what he's going to take you to next. Oh, pastor, I'm feeling a little, I'm feeling a little skinny. Pastor, I, I don't, I don't, I don't feel, I don't feel filled at all. I don't feel fattened enough. But God knows what he's doing. And God is a preparing God. He prepares you a, a table for you in the presence of your enemies, but he anoints your head with oil, fattening you up for the spaces that he has you in to be fully developed and fully ready for that thing. But God's preparation also includes positioning you for excess. God's preparation includes positioning you for excess. I promise I didn't mean to do all this alliteration. There's a lot of that happening. I'm not sure how that's happening. It's not on purpose, right? Pastor, where do you get that? Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. It's not filled halfway. It's not filled to the top. It is running over. It is running over, operating from a place. God is positioning you for a place of excess. Now, you're about to be like Pastor Xavier out here preaching prosperity gospel. That's not what I'm saying at all. That's not what I'm saying at all, especially when your framework switches from success by man's opinion and by God's opinion. When God makes you successful, what does the Bible say? Um... I just said that, now I'm drawing a blank on what God said. He says, um, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate on it day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way, who knows it? Prosperous. And then you should have good what? God said it. It's not prosperity. God says, if I am positioning myself to make sure that I am doing what he wants me to do in the spaces that he wants me to be, God says, I am going to posture you towards success for my glory. That's the way that God rolls. He's preparing you for excess. This is, again, it's not a prosperity gospel, but God is wanting to work from the overflow of your life. That's the way that he rolls. But God is not just a preparative God, but lastly, the Lord is a hospitable God. The Lord is a hospitable, hospitable God. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm going to read that verse again because I want to make sure we catch some very important words in there. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It is a promise with contingencies. 
It's a promise with contingencies. And, we, and that's why if you look back over this passage, I challenge you, read it again in your own time and pay attention to that punctuation. There are colons everywhere where God has these attachments, these facets on his promises for us, where he says, hey, understand this. Goodness is going to follow you. Mercy is going to follow you. And on top of that, compounded, not just juxtaposed, but compounded, you are going to do, I can dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In him, goodness will follow. In him, mercy will follow. In, in him, we can dwell forever. That's the kind of God that we serve. And so if God operates like that, if God is a shepherd and he guides and he restores and he makes me fear and he makes me prepared and I am taken care of in God then why on earth would I want to do it by myself control issues literally make no sense to a believer or it shouldn't it shouldn't because guess what I'm gonna read this song one more time and I want to highlight some things that we may not we may not have caught the first time the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Look at it from this framework. All the parts that mention God are nothing but goodness. You notice that? Are nothing but God giving me excess. Are nothing but God preparing me and posturing me and fashioning me and molding me. And most of the times in this passage when I am mentioned, it's because something negative is going on. He's my shepherd. Why? Because I naturally want. He has to restore my soul. Right? I walk through the valley of shadow of death. I'm prone to fear evil. I'm prone to be by myself. I'm prone to be discomforted. I'm prone to be in the presence of enemies. My cup is never full outside of God, and I will not have goodness and mercy unless God is doing it in my life. We rob ourselves blind by not letting God do what he wants to do in our lives. I wonder if somebody will shape up tonight. I wonder if somebody will say, God, I've been trying to do this on my own for far too long. I've been trying to control this circumstance for far too long. I've been trying to dictate this person's behavior for far too long. I've been trying to work through this by myself for far too long. And I have not been giving you enough credit for you to do the work, for you to restore, for you to place, for you to fill my cup and run it over, for you to be God of my life like you want me to be. And check this out. This is not a transactional relationship. Based on Psalm 23, I have nothing to offer to God. Nothing. I don't have any, he doesn't need me or my worship or my praise. Shoot, the angels have been singing the same hit in heaven uh, for all of eternity. Holy, 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 the whole earth is full of his glory. They've been singing that same song for thousands of years. He doesn't need my praise, my worship, my compliance, but he desires it in me in a one-way relationship where I can't offer anything of substance to God and yet he loves me still. He blesses me still, restores me still, postures me towards success still, fills my cup till it runs over, fills me up. That's the way that God rolls. Why would we want to do it by ourselves when God is offering what God is offering? Church, come on. We got to do better. We got to do better at let God. We got to do better at letting God be God. And, I, and I'm, I'm overwhelmed because I can think back on many times in my life where I said, God, I'll do it by myself. I'll figure it out myself. I'll, make, I'll get there on my own. And there's a way that seems right unto Xavier, but in the ends are the ways of death. And I've tripped and I fall because instead of having the lamp unto my feet, I try to walk through darkness by myself and I trip and I stub my toe and I break bones and I fall in the pits. And guess what? It's God bailing me out every single time. So why not let him do it from the beginning? Why not let God, why not let God do it from the jump? Why would we posture ourselves toward doom and despair and to heart and through frustration? And that's not the way that God operates. When we talked about attachment, we were talking about Psalms chapter 16, where God says, my portion, your portion is me, right? The, the, the spaces that you have, your property lines are me. Fulfillment, ever-presentness. That's the kind of God that we serve. And I'm pleading with you tonight. I'm pleading to whoever listens to this podcast later to let God do his job. Let God do his job. I love what he said to Job. Where were you when I fashioned the heavens? Where were you when I built those mountains? Where were you when I made the earth 70-something percent water? 
Where were you when I flung the stars into the sky and knew every single one of them by name? I know the number of hairs on your head. Do you know it? Right? God says, I am this I am this entity in your life that can do things, the great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Stop trying to do it on your own. We're prone to fail that way. We're prone to fail. Here's the truth. We say we trust God, but we don't mean it. Here's the truth. We say that we surrender to God and then we take it back. All to Jesus I surrender. You don't mean it. Because before the song's over, you dry those tears and you go right back to your folly. You put that thing that you brought to God on the altar and you got up and you dried your tears and you snatched it right before you walked away. The Bible says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God to who giveth to all men liberally, right? And upbraideth not. But what Dennis says after that, that we can't be double-minded. Because he, he that's like that is like a person who's tossed to and fro with the waves. He says, that's a double-minded person. And let not that man think that he shall receive anything from God. Why would I bless you when you keep taking it back? Why would I give you victory over that when you keep taking it back? No way. No way. Someone said this. We say God is the answer. And then when times get tough, we start backing up. Listen to me. And this is going to sound potentially pious, but I don't even mean it that way. But hear me. I don't care about how great your faith is when you're on the mountaintop. I don't care how great your faith is when your bank account is full, when you and your family are in good health, when your job's going great and you're up for promotion. I don't want to hear about how great your faith is in those moments. I want to see what it's like when that giant is standing right in front of you, threatening you and the armies of God and God himself, and you are completely outnumbered. David, what uh, what did Goliath say to David? Am I a dog that you've given me this stick? When your giants are standing before you, fivefold, and it's like, what are you going to do now? And you know that you are completely and utterly powerless before them. That's when I want to see that faith. And guess what? God doesn't even ask you for a lot. Mustard seed faith. I don't even need your faith to get it done, but I want you to demonstrate it. Demonstrate it. We can't back up when it's time to let God do his job. We got to stop being control freaks. We got to get over these control issues. And let God do his thing. Okay? So let's talk about where does control come from. It's time for me to get all up in your business. All right? That's what I do. My poor clients know it. I'm all up in your business. Where does control come from? Quick little list. Control comes from struggles with fear. And I'm not going to ask you. I want you to make a mental tally of how many of these things you check off for yourself. Struggles with fear. It's a big one. I'm afraid. I'm worried. I'm not sure that I can do this on my own. I'm not sure that this will, be, that this will get done, and so I'm going to take it into my own hands, right? I would have tithed, but this is my last $10, and I'm not sure what I'm going to do if I did. It was fear. You were worried about it. Insecurity. Insecurity. Let me tell you this right now. Can I pour into you a minute? You are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. Scripture calls you, God bless you, a joint heir with Jesus. You are royalty. Check this out. The Queen of England, the King of England, they're not sitting there with digging their hands with those nice white gloves on and into a, hand of sp- a pile of spaghetti and stuck it in their face. Right? They're going to get a knife and fork and they're going to... And, and then they're going to pat their mouths. Right? Because that's the kind of etiquette that a king and a queen, you know where I'm going, right? What kind of etiquette are you walking around with? Are you carrying yourself like a child of God? Do you realize how much weight is before, behind that? How much power is behind that? Anxiety, flee, I'm a child of God. Depression, flee, because I'm a child of God. My dad is going to show up, and when he does, you should probably go. Because God's going to get here and take care of stuff, because that's Abba to me, that's my dad. We don't, we don't wield the weight, the power that God gives us. I'm not sure why you're insecure when you have access to the most powerful being in the universe freely. Jesus Christ, seeing that we, were, that we were only had limited access, those high priests had to have a rope tied around their waist when they went in because if they walked in there incorrect, God would strike them dead. And they had to pull their corpse out of that place. And, Je- and Jesus said, enough of that. Shh. 
rip the veil between us and God. Free access into the Holy of Holies. Free access. And you get a chance, read Revelation chapter 4. When John gets that vision and he looks into the Holy of Holies and the, and the seas are as glass and there's lightnings and there's thunders and all kinds of stuff. It's a, it's a happening place in there. And you have access? You're insecure for what? Insecure for what? What are some other causes? Perfectionism. Perfectionism. It's got to be just right. Got to work on that. A need for power. A need for power. Little man's disease. Right? I got to, I got here's the, here's the truth. I don't got to strut nothing. I don't got to flex a single muscle. Because I know who I am in God. I have a confidence that only comes from God. Check this out. You have a confidence that only comes from God. We have this confidence, scripture says, that he will finish what he started. God has never lost a battle. He is still fashioning you, and he's still fashioning you, and he's still fashioning me. And he does not have any failed experiments. No way. I don't have to worry about professing a power or a position that I already know that I have as being a joint heir with Christ. We don't fight for a victory. We fight from it. Come on. Past disappointments. People develop control issues because of past disappointments. And you heard me say it a million times. Sigmund Ford was a weirdo. So for all the people who love psychoanalysis that's listening to this podcast, I don't even care. Right? Weird. But he had one component of his theory that I really liked. And it's the fact that many of us who are coming to counseling as adults are dealing with issues manifesting from our childhood. It's our past disappointments. How you were raised at home. How the, the experiences that you had. So other past experiences that influenced our beliefs and our behaviors, such as modeled behavior, expectations set on us by governing bodies such as our parents, or demands of school and demands of work. Those are some things that cause us to develop some control issues. Okay? Well, doesn't everyone struggle with control issues? Well, from time to time, yeah. You're a human being. Most of us are going to want to take the reins of things sometimes. Okay? So then when does it become a problem? When does control become a problem? Number one, when it becomes persistent. Somebody could say, oh, it was just that one group project, but then it came the second group project, and it, then it was your whole career. When you find that you are needing to be in control all the time, it's a problem. Second, when it becomes disruptive. Starts messing up your school life, starts messing up your work life, starts messing up your relationships. You're not able to function the way that you want to function because if you're not in control, then the whole train is going to, I will derail this train right now. I will throw this stick of dynamite on the train and blow us all up if I don't get my way. And you're like, Pastor Xavier, what are you saying? You're so weird. Yeah, but you heard me say it last week, our walk walks and our talk talks, but is our walk talk like our talk talks? Pastor, I would never do that, knowing you're about to leave out of this room tonight and go and blow something up because it's not going how you want it to. Negatively impacts our personal well-being. Oh my gosh. It will destroy you first. It will destroy you first. And it negatively impacts others. As you can see, this is a well-rounded catastrophe if we let it happen the way that it wants to. Where does, where does control issues manifest? Where do control issues manifest? Number, oh, number first. <laughs> number one, in personal behaviors and habits. You'll start seeing it show up, and that's why it's, it's, it, control is cancerous. And it'll start showing up in your own personal, and people try to say, I'm just OCD. <laughs> oh, I told you I was going to get in your business, and you didn't believe me. You know that there's actually two disorders that comes with OCD. There's OCD, and then there's OCPD. Right? One of those is a personality disorder. One of those is a lot of anxiety. Now, what we always say in, 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 in the counseling world is that you can't treat a personality disorder because that's a person's personality. You can't really change a personality. Right? They'll have to see something being an issue in their own lives and decide that it's a, it's a detriment to me and I have to work really hard to make those changes. But OCD is anxiety-based. And it's anxiety of God. No. Be careful for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. OCD is anxiety-based. 
and it starts showing up in your personal behaviors and habits. Second, our, our personal platonic and romantic relationships start seeping in. You want to control your spouse, you want to control your kids, you want to control your coworkers, you want to control everything. And you want to burn your relationships fast? Have an, be a know-it-all and have to be the one to have to dictate everything. They'll fall, they'll fall apart quickly. At work and in home environments. So again, not, we saw in the first part of when it, when it becomes controlling behavior, it's persistent, it's disruptive, it impacts personal well-being, it impacts others. But then we see that it's happening and it affects all the facets of our lives, our personal lives, our platonic and romantic lives, our work and school lives, and it, it will begin to bleed into all of the other areas. Right? So the next part is how do I overcome it? How do I overcome it? That's what you're really here for, right? Just tell me what I need and shut up. <laughs> Number one, recognize that it's a thing. Recognize that it's a thing. Acceptance is the first step. You know what? I might have com control issues. I didn't realize it before, but I'm seeing it now. I didn't realize that I, I have this deep, inherent need to make sure that I'm the one that's doing it, taking care of it, operating it. And I have to real recognize that. But not just that we recognize it, step number two is that we have to accept it. Accept that it's a thing. Learned or developed, it's a part of who I am. It's a part of who I am. Research shows that some of the people who struggle the most with something, whether it's a, a personality flaw or an addiction, is they have a difficult time voicing that it's a thing in their lives. They have a difficult point, point of a difficult uh, time saying, you know, I'm controlling. Or in addiction, I'm an alcoholic, right? Or whatever is happening. I have a difficult time doing uh, some of those things. And that's why when you look at the AA programs, they'll usually say, hi, I'm so-and-so, and I'm insert addictive thing, right? Because there is power in voicing it. The Bible, have you ever looked up the, the biblical definition for the word bondage? The biblical definition of bondage means to hold you in a place of restraint with zero intentions of setting you free. And it is proven that when we can voice something, we have an increased, a highly increased chance of overcoming it. So not just realize, recognizing that it's a thing, but accepting that this is, a, this is something that I am dealing with and that's okay. Third, work to understand the underlying cause. You heard me say it last week, if I'm not bearing on the branch, it's because something's going on at the root. What's the reason? Here's what happens a lot of times with us as people. We're only dealing with the branches. We're only dealing with the weeds. They grow back. You gotta be able to get in there and take those roots out. Anyone ever got bitten by a tick? Anyone ever got bitten by a tick? My family's Jamaican. I remember being in Jamaica and coming out of the bush and there was a tick on my leg. And I was going to just pull it out. And they're like, no, 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 don't do that. Right? You know what happens, right? You have to be able to get, you use like tweezers of some kind and make sure that you are gently getting all of those legs out because failing to do that, it releases its toxins. It can cause Lyme disease, which is an autoimmune and all of these different things. You got to be very, very careful on pulling it out. And many of us are just like, I just want to get this over with and just, and now you got Lyme disease and you don't want that. Right? We want, to be able to, we want to be able to recognize that we have to slowly remove these things um, from our lives. Right? So we have to understand those underlying causes. What's happening at the root? What have I not dealt with? What kind of wounds do I still have? All right? Number four, realize that not all parts of control are harmful. Structure is not a bad thing. Being clean, being neat, being tidy is not a bad thing. But what do we tell you? When did this become a problem? When it's persistent, when it's disruptive, when it impacts your overall well-being, and when it impacts others. Okay? Moderation. Let all things be done in moderation. No one to yield. All right, number five. Accept that a need uh, to be in control can be harmful. So it's the other part of it, right? The first half is that not, not all parts are, harm, are harmful, but understand and accept that a need to be in control can be very harmful, very harmful. Number six, work to develop more, up, oh, work to develop more trusting relationships. 
Put yourself in a place, I'm going to start using a word intentionality here in a second, of putting yourself in a place where you can start facilitating channels of trust in your life and with the people that are in your life. But also you have to develop a higher self-esteem. We started talking a little bit, of, a little bit ago about post, what you are like um, in God, right? The kind of positioning that you have as being a joint heir with God. It's so important to have those things nailed down and realize that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. Guess what? God doesn't make junk. And so that means that Xavier is fearfully and wonderfully made just like the psalmist was. And I have to be able to walk in that and realize that if I look at myself and see myself how I see myself, that mirror is going to tell me a lot of unhealthy and, un and not nice things. But God will say that you are loving, you are loved, and you are chosen, and you are blessed, and you are forgiven, and all of these different things. And I have to start viewing myself the way that God views me instead of how myself and how the world views me. Super important. Number seven, work on intentional delegation of tasks and projects. And you want working on how to, be, how to be less controlling? Start purposefully giving things away. I know that I can do this. I know that I can do this on my own, but, be, but I need to work on not having my hands in everything. So I'm going to go ahead and just give this up just to practice this skill. All right? Number eight, work on intentional adaptability and flexibility. I, heard some, I read a book called Boundaries for Your Soul. Right? Super good, super good book. And it starts off by talking about how we're bad at boundaries because we start trying to set boundaries with others before setting boundaries with ourselves first. Right? And then it went on to talk about how we are bad at, put, at creating margin in our life. There's no margin. Because guess what happens? You've seen those flimsy trees outside and you're trying to cut that tree down because it looks like it's dying and it's rotting, but it's hard to break those leaves off. It strips all the way down the side, and it's like, man, you got to really wrestle that little flimsy tree out of there. But what about the ones that are, that are old and, and dry rotten, right? You basically can just look at it, and it'll snap. Many of us are those old, dry rotten trees. And if one thing does not go the way that we need it to go, We'll snap. We'll snap. You hear about drunk drivers? And how usually, whenever there are fatalities in drunk driving accidents, very seldom is the person who was under the influence hurt. You know why? Because they were loose. They were relaxed. And they got banged around a lot, you know, but didn't get hurt. It's in those moments when that person tensed up where damages happened. I was CPR certified for a while, and one time when I was in class, um, someone fell on the ground started having a seizure in class. And one of my classmates reached over to try to pick him up while he was having that seizure, and I said, hey, 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 you gotta let him, you gotta let him go because he's convulsing and you'll break something while he's convulsing like that. You have to kind of let him go and let him be free, right? And turn him on his side so he doesn't choke on whatever fluid comes out of his mouth or on his tongue and let it pass. Pastor, you're saying a whole bunch of stuff. What are you talking about? You gotta start being adaptable. You gotta start being flexible. You gotta start creating some margin so that if things don't go the way it's expected, it won't derail you to the point where you're disgruntled and, and hurt. Number nine, my favorite, consider therapy. <laughs> consider therapy. Sometimes having someone to walk alongside you can help you to set up measurable goals and help you be accountable toward your path of change. And you heard me say before, I love, I love therapy, but something that rivals therapy is a good social support network. Someone who can just keep you accountable and say, hey, Xavier, you're doing that control stuff all over again. You have to learn to relinquish control. Let go, let God. Someone who can help you set up some smart goals to be able to get that taken care of. And number 10, my apps, one, I said the first one was my, uh, the last one was my favorite, but this one is my favorite too. Y'all know how I am. Don't judge me. All right? Be patient with yourself. I'm going to tell you for all eight weeks, be nice to yourself. Be nice to yourself. I love talking to my couples and talking through some of these different things. And uh, being, in, being in this place where um, they... It, you, you come from, you take someone who's married, right? Two people who are married, and they have spent all of however many decades of their lives in a certain home environment, right? And so did the other person. 
right? And so then what ends up happening is you have two different people who have come into the same space and are now trying to coexist, right? And it takes time to work and to learn each other and to navigate these different things. In like manner, I have spent 32 years building up habits that were not ideal. And so at the moment when I realized that, oh my gosh, I have some issues of control, right? I can't just kind of pop my hand and say, Xavier, stop being a control freak. And I'm, not, and I'm gonna be like, oh. <gasps> <laughs> Look at how flexible I am now. <laughs> wow, that worked, said no one ever, <laughs> right? You have to give yourself time to adapt to the change. Whether it's anxiety or depression or control issues, right? Or your family and your systems and trying to, any kind of behavior change, value change, modality change is going to require you to be patient with you. And if we don't see change immediately, we get so frustrated with ourselves. And you don't have to. Be nice to you. You're doing the best you can. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for your son. Lord, I feel like you dedicated an entire psalm to me. <sighs> because I'm just like David in that way, God. Of when things don't go the way that I expect them to go or want them to go, I'm so postured toward flailing and running and being afraid. And I don't have to. I don't have to. Even now, Lord, you're still restoring my soul. Even now, you're still making me to lie down in green pastures. Even now, you're still leading me beside still waters. Even now, you're still preparing a table for me before me in the presence of my enemies. And even just today, as I was ruminating on something that someone did to me just a couple days ago that I've been frustrated about, you reminded me and comforted me and reminded me of the posture and the position that you've put me in. And that there is no competition or fighting or warring because I know the position that I have in you. Help us to be able to relinquish the control because it's much better when you have it in your hands. You can do much more with our lives than we can do with our lives. You can do much more with our marriages than we can do with our marriages, with our children than you can do with our, than, uh, with our children than, than we can do with our children, with our jobs, our finances, all of the circumstances, God. You can do better. And you've never lost a battle. You're the, you're the, the all-time undisputed champion. And you do not lose. And you're in my corner. God, I am so grateful. I pray for every person in this room that is struggling with this issue that are working to let go and let you have it. Help them to realize that there's a way that seems right, but in the end it leads to death. Lord, my heart is deceitfully wicked and desperate above all things. Who can know it? And right after that verse, you said, you know it. You know my heart. You know the ways of man. It is, there, it is a win-win situation to have you do it. So God, continue to lead us in the paths of righteousness for your namesake. And we'll give you all the honor and glory for it all. In Jesus' name we pray and we're thankful. And the church said, Amen. Amen.